worship, and that's why I'm holding my phone. It's my wife, and I'll put it in my pocket like I'm, I'm a good pastor here in just a minute. But I was nudged because uh, I just was inspired because sometimes we also have to battle this in our culture. We have to battle the thought of, well, yeah, Brad, but I'm X, Y, Z age. And that can be either I'm too young or I'm too old. That's good. I'm so I know I, know I wasn't talking to you, Miss Eloise. I knew. I knew. If I knew if it, and, 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 and y'all are still minors, and so that's good. You'll forever be minors. But I wanted to, we'll, we'll talk about some of this, but some of this too I wanted to hit off today is, but it's, um, it's for everyone that is alive and is a believer. The good works of God will always continue. They will never stop. And if I can speak, and I'm going to more speak towards the older end of the, of the age spectrum, more as an example. And here's the reason why. Not because we have older people in our church that are here today. I'm not trying to just target this to you. But the inspiration of this is in our culture, our culture has a mindset of about the time you hit 25 or 30, they say your social equity begins to go down. That is the mindset. And even within the church, have y'all noticed within the church, Mm -hmm. uh, the desire for we need younger, hipper, cooler, prettier people Mm -hmm. leading the church. Have y'all noticed that across the board? You know, that's across culture. Right. There's this whole idea that, well, younger is better. And even in that, it's one of the reasons why and I haven't spoken on this in a long time and, and not to get distracted. But it's one of the reasons why in Western cultures, the United States, England, Australia, Canada, uh, parts of uh, South America suffer from what's called midlife crisis. Have you ever heard of midlife? Anybody ever known anybody going through a midlife crisis? Yes. Yeah, it's, we, terrible. it's terrible. Anybody? You know, we've seen it happen. Do you know why people go through midlife crisis? People go through midlife, and this is psychologically speaking, they go through midlife crisis because they're trying to go back. Mm-hmm. They're trying to relive what they consider the glory days. Mm-hmm. Right? Remember, we, we all say it like this. We all call it the, the, good, the good old days. Right? I'm going to go back to the good old days because in the good old days, I was younger. I was prettier. I was hipper i was whatever i was but the the challenge with that is you're fine is we don't have that for christ followers in our imagination we have to change our perspective of age and time as well in our imaginations because according to scripture scripture tells us to look forward to old age right to be excited about old age to honor old age, yes. right? To look at it, it says that, again, the, the graying of the hair is a crown, mm-hmm. not a curse. Mm-hmm. Oh, come on. Uh, yeah. Am I talking to everybody here? The graying of our hair is a crown. It's not a curse. We're to honor age. Mm-hmm. We're to look forward to age. We're instructed that to seek out the wisdom of old age. Does that make sense? Does that help? So just in that one analogy, I, I want to inspire us as we think about this, is that, that for us, there is no such thing as retirement. Mm-hmm. There is no such thing as stopping and quitting. Right. 
right? There is no such, there's only continuing in the good works of God. I mean, this is rousing amens coming from all sides, amen? So let, let's maybe go to some light stuff here to help inspire. So I, just this morning, I, I wanted to read it because I've heard of different things. And so I just Googled, and I'd encourage you to Google some of this, is people who were successful later in life. Right, because again, many times in our culture, we look at, and part of the reason why people go into midlife crises is, is they go, oh, well, the time has passed me by. Mm-hmm. X, Y, or Z, success, fame, fortune didn't happen for me when I was in my 20s or my 30s, and I missed the proverbial boat. It's too late, right? And so I'm trying to catch up. But listen to this. So there's a man by the name of Harry Bernstein. Now, these, some of these people I know, some of them don't. Harry Bernstein apparently was a uh, Pulitzer Prize winning. He is a published author that his, his seminal or his pivotal work he wrote when he was 93. Oh, yeah. But it didn't get published until he was 96. And for my readers that are here, my reader just left the room, but my reader, it's The Invisible Wall, A Love Story That Broke Barriers. And apparently it's a novel that is a memoir of his childhood growing up in a poor Jewish family in northern England. But again, he he wrote it at 93, published it at 96, and that's what made him success. Wow. How cool is that, huh? Is that in, I hope these inspire you. Yeah. Another one is a lady by the name, I don't know who she is at all, so I'm just reading this with you for Gladys Burrell. Now, this you're going to like. Who is a marathon runner at 92. <laughs> she started her running career at age 86. <laughs> right? She gained fame when she set a world record for the oldest woman to finish a marathon at the age of 92. She power walked and jogged the Honolulu Marathon in 2012, completing the run in nine hours and 53 minutes. Oh, my God. I have no excuse. <laughs> Isn't, that, <laughs> Isn't that it? Hopefully these are encouraging. To 92. Here's another one. Anna Marie Robertson Moses. Now, we famously know her as Grandma Moses, mm-hmm. who is a painter. Yes. Right? At 78. Yeah. That's when she began her painting career. There you go. She painted it. That's right. But she started at 78 and is famous today for that. Another guy by the name of Peter Mark Rodgett. He put a published, I don't know what this is, Lex, lexicographer, whatever that is. I'll have to figure out. Oh, they study languages. Oh, the structure. Well, he published at 73. Years old. That's when he started Lexicogra, whatever that is. <laughs> right? He began at 73. Here's one that we might recognize. Her name is Laura Ingalls Wilder. Mm-hmm. Right? And what did she write? A little house on the prairie at 65. She wrote Little House on the Prairie that is still famous and turned into TV shows. All this at 65. Another one, Harlan Sanders. Anybody know who that guy is? Kentucky Fried Chicken. At 62. I know, I know about food. <laughs> that's right, that's right. So at 62 years old is when he first franchised Kentucky Fried Chicken. He sold the business along with his secret recipe of 11 herbs and spices for $2 million 12 years later at age 74. 
That's a pretty good retirement, that if you will, quote unquote. Amen. <laughs> That's something. And we still know him very, uh, very much famously. I love that about his symbol, the white suit and the mustache and the little soul patch thing or whatever you would call that. How about a, a man by the name of Ray Kroc? Anybody know who that is? He's the man who purchased McDonald's from the McDonald brothers at age 59. That's when he actually bought McDonald's. How about this lady, another foodie person? Her name is Julia Child. Oh, yeah. Anybody know Julia Child? Very famous. Woo! Hello. I only think about the Saturday Night Live. Ooh, gosh darn, I cut my finger. And so, <laughs> and so anyway, but don't, don't, don't Google that one. But, um, but she was a celebrity chef at age 51. That's when she made it to celebrity fame. Now, here's another one. He plays for the other team. His name was a man by the name of Charles Darwin. Mm-hmm. Anybody ever heard of Charles Darwin? You've heard of him before, Charles Darwin? Right, how many did you think Charles Darwin, not for the good, please hear me, not for the good, changed the world? Mm-hmm. Like radically changed our world at the age of 50. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Isn't that something? Here's one. I'm trying to see how many more I got. I think this is the last one. I don't know this guy. Momofuku Ando. Caleb. Where's Caleb? Go get Caleb. He needs to be here. Yeah, tell him he needs to be in here. But he was a famous instant noodle creator. (laughs) Instant noodles, right? The way of venting. If you like instant noodles. Come sit in here with us, buddy. Come on, sit down. So I can't see you. So is, but I was reading about a man by the name of Momofuku Ando, who was the famous instant ramen noodle creator. I knew you would like that. At age 50 Mm. is when he made ramen noodles. Mm -hmm. We do. And Ms. Eloise, we get smarter when we get older. There's a lot more leverage that you can leverage into your life as you age and do different stuff. But I just wanted to say that as this idea to, to begin to break our imaginations because in our culture, one of the things that will keep us from connecting into God's supply is this idea of, well, I'm too old or I'm too young. Right, And again, scripture is full on the other side of all kinds of people. King Josiah, the boy king at age eight. Mm-hmm. Right, Jesus famously at age 12. Mm-hmm. King David famously probably around age 15 or 16 killing Goliath. Mm-hmm. Mary around the age of 13 or 14 receiving Jesus into her body. Right, she would have been a very young. So there's a lot of on either side. So the good works of God are not respective of age. Right, The good works of God are part of who you were created to be. So, so real quick, let, let's, let's go there. I'm going to read it, and it'll become, for the first few weeks of this, our kind of text. It is in Ephesians chapter 2. And Holy Spirit always helped me. I, I hope that was inspiring. I just felt nudged to read that this morning. Very inspiring. Right, to never stop dreaming. Never stop imagining. Never stop going to the Lord and saying, Lord, what is that good work you want me to do? Yeah. Right? What is that, that thing you have made me for? But we famously know this. You know, in, in Ephesians chapter 2, I'll start in verse 4. It says, but God, who is rich in mercy, because of his great love with which he loved us, 
Even when we were dead in trespasses, he made us alive together with Christ. By grace you have been saved. And he raised us up together and made us sit together in heavenly places in Christ. That in the ages to come, he would show the exceeding riches of his grace and his kindness towards us in Christ. For by grace you have been saved through faith, and that not of yourselves. It is the gift of God, not of works, lest anyone should boast. For we are his workmanship, created in Christ Jesus for good works, which he prepared beforehand that we should walk in them. Amen. So you and I are his workmanship, again, his fine masterpiece, his creation, right? Created for good works. Hey, Caleb, I want you sitting up here, buddy. Come on. Are you, are you putting the verses up? Oh, thank you. Okay, good. That's a good work. Thank you. I didn't know what you were doing back there. Is, is it is little bitty? Can we make it bigger? See if you can figure that out, even if you're moving it, because that's even little for me. I don't know anybody else think that's quite small type. You can read it. So see if you can change the font size. You can play with it by back there. That's a good work. Thank you, son, for doing that. For we are his workmanship created in Christ Jesus for good works. So in this one verse we see, and I've heard this phrase before and it helped me remember it. We understand then that we were saved on purpose and we were saved for a purpose. So, so Father has never saved or redeemed or transformed or born from heaven, as we talked about in the month of May. He never gave birth to anyone for them just to be alive. Is, is that much better? Oh, that's much better. Thank yeah, you, buddy. So you can stay back there and go through. I got some more verses you can. Does that make sense? Because mm-hmm. I know sometimes even in our quote unquote grace circles, and please hear me, this is, I'm going to go slow and I'm going to do a bunch of stuff because I know there's two camps. There's the legalistic camp over here. You remember me saying for every mile of road, how many miles of ditch do we have? You got two miles of ditch for every mile of road. So one ditch over here on the legalistic side is you got to do it in order to make God happy, please God, be blessed, da 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 and depending on what range of legalism you come from, actually secure your salvation. Yeah. So you got to do good works because literally your eternal life depends on it. Yeah. yeah that's extreme extreme. But a lot of extreme was is for God to kind of like you. Yeah. <laughs> And kind of put up with you and kind of be pleasing to him, you, you got to do some stuff, right? Well, the other ditch, which is more where our church tends to fall as an organization over here on the grace side, we ain't got to do nothing, we do nothing. <laughs> right? <laughs> Woohoo! We are in grace, man. We have been set free. Oh man, how I just can sit back. I ain't got to do nothing. Gonna sit in this hammock and drink me a Coca-Cola till Jesus comes back. Does that make sense? Where the middle of the road for us is, no, no, no. He saved me on purpose and he saved me for some purposes. I don't think it's even a singular purpose. Like my, my singular purpose isn't just, okay, I'm a pastor. 
Now that's one of my primary purposes. It's one of the main things he has called me to. Does that make sense? But I have been saved. I love that in that verse. I have been saved for good. Back, put that word verse back up, please, Caleb. Ephesians 2.10. I have been saved for good works. Ephesians 2.10, buddy. You got it? There you go. For good what? Works. Is that singular or plural? It's plural. So we have been saved for good works, plural. Mm -hmm. Lots of them for our life. Not just for a good work, singular. Mm -hmm. Amen. Mm -hmm. and, and, and some of those works can be more grandiose. Mm -hmm. And some of those works are just very daily. Right? Being a good husband, just loving my wife, taking care of her and what she desires and her needs. And that's a good work. Yeah. Endeavoring to be a good dad. Mm -hmm. Right? I mean, I'm grateful this afternoon I'm going to get to go fishing with my two boys and Uncle Cedric. Right? You're going to go fishing with me? I'm putting you on the spot. Uncle Cedric's going. So that's a good work too. Because yeah. that just is building time and so you hear, so there's, there's a range of these good works that are out there. But I wanted us to say, you were made by God to do some stuff. Mm -hmm. And you've heard me say this before. And this is not so that you can be more pleasing to God. These good works aren't so that he'll love you better. These good works aren't so that you can be saved so they're not works for salvation but they are works of salvation That's right. well because i am saved mm -hmm. because god has redeemed me because god has transformed me then i can expect that there will be a desire and a growth and imagination of things to do for the sake of righteousness. Right. Very good, man. Does that make sense? Yes. And, and this is to me. And that's why we have an expectation for God to supply my every need according to his riches and glory by Christ Jesus. Because the supply of quote unquote prosperity isn't just so I can have a big pile of stuff to say, look at my big pile of stuff. It's the way in which God will fund, provide, um, equip the good works that he inspires in my heart to do. Yes. Does that make sense? Yes. So, so hit a pause just for a second here. So I want you to begin now, and we're going to take about a minute, and I want you to begin to imagine what, what, what are some of those things? What are some of those good works that you can identify right now? And, and, and on your notepad or on a phone, I want you to take a minute or so and, uh, and, and say, if you'll play, oh, I know you're going to write, I'm sorry, but I need you to play. If you'll play Mike's song, This Is Who I Am, just play it. Don't have to sing it necessarily. But I want you to just, in this time, I want you to write down and begin to make a list of the good works you would like to do. Now, you heard me, I used again, I used this analogy again on Thursday. It's an analogy like, again, we have two of our, our beautiful young children of the church in the back back there. And they're doing some good work by playing with blocks. 
right? Now, nobody's making them. Nobody's forcing them. Nobody's back there. Y'all better build something and it better be awesome. They're just back there playing, constructing. Again, Caleb went back, right? Because I know on some end, I'm just going to be, you know, as people young, he's like, I just don't want to sit there and listen to dad one more time. I want to do something, right? So he goes back and he puts up words. Those are things. But I want what these things are. I want you to look at them. And even when we say the word works, and we'll use it a lot, I want to substitute it with the word play. I want to substitute it with the word create. Or creations. Or inventions. Does that make sense? So God has prepared some good play for you. He has prepared some good creations for you to create, some good inventions for you to do. What are those things? And just to begin to write them down. So let's just take a minute while Selena plays. Because again, that's part of this is who you are. Amen. Again, you can write it on a piece of paper. You can type it in your phone. Again, hold on to it. I want you to hold it and, and, and play my game with me. There's a reason why I want you to physically do something with it. And the reason why is, 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 is again, psychologically, biologically, every time you write something down, it cements it in your soul. It helps make it uh, a little bit more tangible than just I had an idea that's just rattling around my head. Right? And so what is that? Begin that list of the things you know, the things you would like, the things you've always dared to imagine. Man, if I just had more money, I'd do. Man, if I just had more time, I would. Man, if I just had more influence, I would. Man, if I just had this piece of equipment, this, this literal physical tool, this computing tool, this maybe recording tool, this, man, if I just had this piece of, I would do, man, if I just had, man, you know, I'll just play my, man, if I just had a boat, <laughs> man, I'd take people fishing, amen. Man, if I just had, just write, what would you do? Man, you know, if I just had about a hundred or so acres, I would build a place for dads to take their kids. And that's just my own imagination that I've written down. I'd take, I'd, I'd have a place. Would put, would put a nice little lake on it, build some neat cabins on it, have a place for families to go, dads to go, so they knew where they could go. That's just my, that's one of mine. That's one of the good works that's in my heart. Does that make sense? Does that help you in that example? You know, some of those things that, man, if I just had a, a, a bit of a bigger shop that was a little bit more easy to, to do, I'd, again, I'd build a shop where dads could take kids and they could work on stuff or people could come and, and build things and just have it there. Those, those kind of things. Those are good works. What would you do? Man, if I just had a better stove, I'd, what would I do? Amen. And I want you to hang on to this list for two things. A, in, in the days ahead, in these weeks of summer, 
I want you to revisit this list often for that imagination piece that we've been practicing for a whole month. That part of your daily spiritual routine or discipline will be you're going to take that list and you're going to sit down and you're going to imagine yourself doing these things now. What's that going to look like as you do that? What's that going to feel like when you begin to see it accomplished? What, 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 again, what are some of the things, even more things as you think, of, okay, I got this big idea, but in the big idea, I'm going to need these little things to help bring the big idea to place and write those little things down under the bigger idea. Does that make sense? But I want you to begin to imagine that now, begin to see yourself doing that now in your imagination. Amen. Begin to do. Remember what we said from Proverbs six thirteen a few weeks ago. Because when I commit my way to the Lord, then my thoughts are established. I want you to begin this week to look at that list and inside yourself go, "I right, God, I'm going to commit to that. I'm going to commit to walking in the direction of this." Right. Amen. And here, kind of just feel like, and I'm not going to wait for Brad to give me permission. Because I don't need his permission because God's inspired this. I'm not, I'm not going to wait for somebody, whoever that somebody is, to tell me it's okay or to tell me it's a worthwhile idea or to tell me that, sure, you're not crazy for thinking that. No, no, I'm not going to do it. I'm just going to accept that this desire comes from my papa, my father. And so he's good with it. Right, he gave me the initial imagination for it, so I'm just gonna say, Lord, I'm gonna just go. I'm gonna walk towards that thing. I'm just gonna walk that direction. Amen. Brad speaks a little bit about in, inside of a couple, like there's ideas God has given me, mm-hmm. and you've been very supportive. Yeah. But I've been waiting for your permission in a sense. Well, that's why I said I that. Have, I know. Yeah. Sorry. I know, but I'm just making it a little more clear. <laughs> Yeah. It doesn't mean that you go off and don't even tell your spouse, I'm, I'm thinking of doing this. What we're saying is you don't need validation yeah. from anybody. Yeah. Because there's been some works where I was gung-ho and I was going to do it, and Brad just didn't get it. Yeah. Or he thought his way about it. Yeah. Um, but I just stuck with it and just kept yeah, asking that's the right. Lord for wisdom and kept having him you know, on board and all of that. But then once once it was clear that this is the way this was needing to be, it was like, go for it. Yeah. Then I had to come to grips with, okay, he said yes. There's all the validation I need That's right. from the Lord. There's all the permission I need. That, why am I still waiting? Why yeah. am I still holding back? Yeah. Why am I still, yeah. you know? And so sometimes we use our spouse as an excuse or as a crutch yeah. for being held back. Yeah. And that's not okay. That's right. Because... We don't have to go through him to do what God called us to That's do. exactly right. And Amen. he doesn't have to go through me to do what God has called him to do. Right? We need to be in agreement and yeah. move forward. But there's things God's told him and there's things God's told me. And there's it's a different expression of that. And that's good. It's healthy. The world needs to see yes. that expression of Jesus in the church. How the husband would do certain things and he runs with it that way. And how the wife runs with it that way. And it's not that they're antagonistic towards yeah. each other at all. They actually work in concert with one another. Absolutely. 
Absolutely. Well, that, and that's great. And that's great to say thank you for saying And so, like, I'll just paint a picture of Selena for some time, and it's been confirmed now for a year or better, the whole stool thing and you and I sharing together. So for about a year or better, Selena's had in her imagination, she's seen a little bit of what she just saw there. But when we come to church, her and I sitting more together on a stool and us sharing. Some of you that have seen us do that on our lives, those that have watched some of our lives, that we feel that nudge. And it's, and it's comes from Selena that we, we need to do that together all the time. Right, so you'll start seeing more of that, but that's because you had that vision, and it was confirmed multiple times that this is what that looks like. This is what y'all need to do. But now I had to be strong because, like when we went and did the marriage thing, people aren't used to that. Yeah. So they immediately look to Brad. Well, even here, we're not used to it. We're not used to it, so everybody just looks to Brad, and I'm like, nope, that's not what the Lord showed me. So I have to own it and get myself. Yeah, and I found, and I did this this morning. I looked at her and I said, Hey, listen. You've seen this thing. What do those stools look like? <laughs> Find them, buy them, and get them here. Right? I mean, you know, the, you know, because some of that stuff we can go. Yay! I have this great idea. You go make it happen. Yeah, no. Right? <laughs> and and you can't do that. It's and 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 to stop on this, and and, and then we'll move forward for for some time. So remember, these kind of things they're going to take your initiation. They're going to take your initiative to bring to pass, right? You have to be willing. Part of this is, okay, I'm going to start now, right? So here is, and sometimes we don't do that because we can, and I've heard this especially in the church world, we hide behind the excuse of excellence. Well, it can't be super wow, amazing, so I don't do it because God wants excellence. So it's got to be super wow. So y'all want y'all to repeat after me. Say excellence is doing the best I can with what I have where I am. So that means we can always be excellent and always start right now. Instead of, again, because many times what happens to us, we get into comparison, we look at someone who's doing a similar idea, but they're 10 or 15 years in front of us, and they go, oh, wow, look how amazing. They're doing that idea much better than I could do that idea, so I'm just, I'm just not going to do it because they're doing it so much better. But we, we forget, okay, well, they're 15 years down the road. They didn't start there either. They started with the best they could do where they were right then. Does that make sense? Does that help? Amen. All right, you can come on down. Thank you for that. Amen. So that's what we're doing this. So that's the whole purpose of resource. That's the whole purpose of what we're going to be talking about. I'm just going to look real quick. Good. We've got about 20 minutes and then we'll be perfect. So go to the book of Revelation, please. As we start this off and open this up. And again, uh, on Thursday nights when we gather, we'll be unpacking this as we talk and have conversation. Remember this Thursday, because we have a minister's event at the Irondale campus, we won't be meeting this Thursday because Selena and I and Kevin will all be over uh, at the minister's event. Uh, you're welcome to come if you'd like to. So you're welcome to join us 
uh, just show up. That'd be awesome. Um, going to be a great time for pastors and ministers all over the Southeast are going to be gathering. So this Thursday, but after that, when we come back on our Thursdays through the summer, we're going to be talking this out. So as we talk about this, as you go home and think about it and meditate on it, re-listen to the sermon on the podcast, please do feel free to bring your questions, bring things you'd like to discuss about this. A little bit more detail, a little bit more deeper dive, and we'll get into unpacking some of that on Thursdays, okay? But here I want to start in, in Revelation. How many of you know there are seven letters to seven churches in Revelation? Did everybody know that? Has everybody ever read those letters before sometime? So we're going to look at those letters. I encourage you as a bit of homework, you can go home and, and study those letters out. They're found in Revelations. Uh, they begin in chapter 1 around, and we'll look at that around verse 17 or so. They go all the way through chapter 2. They go all the way through chapter 3. Right, so kind of Revelation set, uh, Revelations chapter 1, verse 17, all the way through the end of chapter 3. You find Jesus then is the author of these letters. In my Bible, they show up in red writing. I don't know if they show up in red writing in your Bible or not. Uh, but they are the seven letters to seven churches. Right? So I'm going to begin reading the letters. We're not going to read them in detail. Again, I encourage you, though, to do that at home and study this on your own. There's a lot in there. But I'm just going to highlight a few things as it connects to what we're talking about. And that's where we'll end for today. And then we'll pick up again after Brother Jim comes in a couple of weeks. But here, Jesus said in, in chapter 1, verse 17 of Revelation, And when I saw him, this is John talking, And when I saw him, and him there is Jesus, I fell at his feet as if I was dead. But he laid his right hand on me and said, Do not be afraid. And I just got to stop there anytime we run into that. Because how many of you are like me, you grew up afraid of the book of Revelation? Yeah. Come on now, be honest. Yep, yep. You know, it kind of terrified you just a little bit. You know, it's supposed to be. But here, I love that. So this all starts with don't be afraid. Now, Jesus is going to unpack to each of these churches. He's going to unpack some encouragement and some correction. But how did he start both the encouragement and the correction? Do not be afraid. Don't be afraid. <laughs> so everybody say that. Say, don't be afraid. Don't be afraid. So, so look at each other and go, don't be afraid. Right. Kevin, don't be afraid. Right. Don't be afraid. So listen, don't be, and the encouragement is good encouragement. And in some of the encouragement, there's some, there's some hard stuff that was on. And in the correction, sometimes Jesus is getting a little bit, I would call it sassy. Right. He, he's not necessarily pulling back any punches with some of these churches. Right. So also don't ever be afraid of his correction. I, you know, I used to live most of my life afraid of the correction of God. Mm -hmm. yeah, I don't know if y'all were ever like that. I mean, I used to, you know, I grew up and we grew up again in word of faith circles. We grew up aware of the presence of the spirit. Have you ever heard this good Christianese term? I got a check in my spirit. Anybody ever heard the, the term? I got a check in my spirit, right? And, and for those who are listening or watching, what that meant was is you got that kind of ooh feeling. Ooh, yeah. I shouldn't do that. Or ooh, I shouldn't think that. Or ooh, I shouldn't have done that. 
I shouldn't have thought that, but you get that proverbial check in your spirit where think of it not like a check off a to-do list or a check like off your bank account. Think of it like a hockey check. If you've ever watched hockey and they call it checking and they check each other into the boards right that and and every now and then the holy spirit will check us he'll kind of put a pause on us but i used to always be afraid of that because i felt like oh man i didn't do it good if i'd have just listened better god wouldn't have had to check me if i'd have just been paying more attention if i'd have just been more diligent right but here jesus says hey listen don't be afraid Right? Don't ever be afraid. As, and again, I say that because as we move forward in, in, in our desire to accomplish the good works, everybody say this, say, I'm going to make a mistake. So I say that one more time. Say, I'm going to make a mistake. So just know that you're not probably going to nail it every time. You're going to make some mistakes. Right. And, and again, you're going to make some unconscious mistakes. They're going to be, quote unquote, accidental. Man, because I just didn't know. I was trying something new. I was attempting something new. And man, I wasted $500. Does that make sense? Yeah. Don't be afraid. I mean, again, I'll just be real transparent. Selena and I <laughs> are overcoming a $10,000 mistake we made. In an attempt to do something good for God. Yeah. <laughs> and we got to the end of that and go, well, that was a mistake. <laughs> that cost us 10,000 bucks. Hallelujah. Thank you, Jesus. How many of you know that kind of makes yeah. you kind of want to, ah, right? Yeah. Yeah. But Jesus said, don't be afraid. Don't be afraid. No. Right? Now, so you're going to make accidental mistakes in the best of intentions. I mean, we were, we, again, we were trying. Oh, man, aren't you so glad he'll, he'll help us. He'll bail us out. He'll, he'll restore it. He'll fix it that yes. your mistake is never so big. Yeah. That's exactly right. He just wants you moving. He just wants you going. Our mistakes, I'm not me to do this. It's vital that you make your mistakes. I just need you moving. That's right. That's exactly right. That's so good. Right? So we're going to make unintentional. We're going to make intentional mistakes. Now, intentional mistakes are more like, no. Like, say, I ain't moving, God. I ain't doing it. Right? And many times we say no because we're afraid. So what was the answer from Jesus? Don't be afraid. So don't be afraid of making accidental mistakes. And don't be afraid of sometimes having an intentional mistake and just say, no, I'm not going to. The answer is the same to both. He says, just don't be afraid. All right. So then he moves forward. He says, because I am the first and I am the last. I am he that lives and was dead. And behold, I am alive forevermore. Huh? 18. Revelation 118, buddy. Amen. And I have the keys of Hades and death. Hallelujah. So, man, Jesus has got you covered all the way to hell and back. Amen. (laughs) Aren't you glad about that? (laughs) I mean, Jesus has got you covered because he was, he is, he's alive forever. He he was the beginning, he's the end. And just in case you're wondering, he's got the keys to hell. So Jesus can get you from hell and back. Aren't you glad about that? Amen. 
So he says to Jesus says to John, so write these things down that you have seen, the things which are and the things which will take place after this. The mystery of the seven stars, which you saw at my right hand, and the seven golden lampstands. And again, so here begins some apocalyptic symbology. He says, the seven stars are the angels of the seven churches. Now, now, just to clarify some stuff, he's not saying that every church has an actual angel. Right. Like an angel with wings, heavenly angel. That word angel there is the word for messenger or the one who carries the message. So here he's talking about the pastors of these seven churches. So as we read, I want you to re- hear and understand that even these letters, it's interesting. And for us, Kevin, you and I, Selena, we, we need to pay attention uh, to that is these, these letters are written to the churches. And if you read them at home, you'll see some application to the church body. But he's really saying, Pastor, Pastor Brad, mm-hmm. this letter is for you. I'm talking to you. Pastor Brad, Pastor Brad. That's what he's Right, Pastor Kevin, Pastor Selena, right? I'm talking directly to the pastor of this church. Now, why that's important, and I've said this before, and this is one of the examples, whenever the Lord speaks to your pastor, whoever that might be in whatever setting, if you can say the Lord has brought me to X body of believers, and that's going to be my church home, and I'm going to worship there and fellowship there and become a part of that community, then when the Lord speaks to the pastor, right, he is speaking directly, many, and we'll say directly to me or to us as pastors, giving us instruction on what we need to do. But it's also because we are your example. Yes. So as he begins to speak to these pastors in these letters, he is, I want you to hear that he is sp- speaking specifically to an individual, and the correction and encouragement are coming to the individual pastor. Mm-hmm. But because the pastor is the example, the church can sit back and go, oh, I'm taking notes. Yes. Right? Amen. Does that make sense? Yes. I'm taking notes because that's my pastor. And I can learn. And again, I can learn when he does a good job. And I can learn when he does a bad job. Only y'all understand. There's the, the two. Dev, y'all know what knowledge is. What's knowledge? Information. In, in, intelligence. And from knowledge is intelligence and information that I have gained. That's just knowledge. Yeah, knowledge is power. As the old Saturday morning, you know, used to say. But what is wisdom? Knowing how to use it. And wisdom is learning from someone else's knowledge. Right. So you have it like this. Knowledge is what I learn on my own. Mm-hmm. Wisdom is what I learn through Pastor Kevin. When he does good and when he does bad, I can have wisdom and go, yeah, I'm not doing that. Right? Yeah, that's right. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Your older brother gave you wisdom on how not to get beat. I mean, I've seen that. Courage isn't here with us, and I've seen his older siblings do that. As Courage tries to gain some knowledge, he gets wisdom from his older siblings. Hey, don't do that. They will hurt you. Right? I mean, <laughs> go this way. It, it goes better for you if you go this way. You know? <laughs> and they're passing on the wisdom of being the older sibling. Don't do that. They will, they will spank you. Don't do that. Right? Redirect. Redirect. Does that mean... <laughs> 
You came first. <laughs> that's right. That's, that's, why we, that's why we named Sophia Wisdom because she came first. That's right. All right. So, does that, so, so here, so he's speaking. So I wanted us to hear that because in these letters, he's speaking to an individual person. But remember, never as an individual are you ever living life outside of the context of your community. So you can learn in both levels. So I want you to hear that because we're going to look at the application. So, but for this morning, I want you to realize that he's talking to an individual. In this case, he is talking to a pastor. But he can also, this is applicable to you. Remember, all scripture is for our instruction, for, for righteousness, for reproof, for correction, all that stuff. So here it says, so it begins. Here's that. Now, chapter, chapter 2, verse 1, Revelation 2, 1, says, To the angel of the church at Ephesus. So who's he talking to? The pastor. Now, to set us up and for time's sake, I want to walk through this just because i just got about 10 minutes and then we'll, we'll land the plane for today. So for time's sake, I'm going to pass this through. You're going to notice some repeated things. In the letters this morning, I'm going to highlight what gets repeated to each pastor. I'm not going to read the whole letter in its entirety. Again, I encourage you to do so. But I'm just going to read the things that repeat. All right? It says here, so to the pastor at Ephesus, drops down to verse 2. He says, I know your works. You might want to underline that. I know your works. He says, your labor and your patience. Look at that. I know your works. Then to this pastor in verse 4, he says, Nevertheless, I have this against you. And you're going to see that repeated in some of them. Right? Then drop down to verse 7, it says, And to him that overcomes. So this morning, we're going to look at the repeated thing of, I know your works, and to him that overcomes. I know your works, and to him that overcomes. So you're going to see that each letter has the phrase, I know your works. Now, again, were these works the pastors were doing because they needed to get saved? No. No, these were the good works because of who they were and what God had called them to do. Yeah. Does that make sense? Yeah. So if every pastor has a work to do and Jesus knows their work, is that just for us pastors? Who is that for, too? I'm the only one answering here. Today. I know you're the only one answering. Nobody's playing my game this morning. All of us. So, again, remember, if he's speaking directly to us as pastors, it's because we're your example. So I, I Pastor Kevin, Pastor, we're not the only ones that have works to do. Now, we have our works. Yeah. But you also have your works. But this one I want you to, and Jesus knows your works. That's Amen. He knows your works. In one sense, he knows what they are. And so we have to go to him to find out what the work is. But he also knows when we're doing good and when we're struggling. Because mm -hmm. you're going to read, as you read these letters, you're going to read that some of these pastors struggled in their work. Right? He's, they struggled. They struggled in many different aspects with it. And again, we could spend a whole, whole time just talking about each one of these letters, so right? So he knows your works. He knows when you're doing well at them, and he knows when you're struggling. And that's why he ends each letter at some place with this phrase, to him that overcomes. Wow. 
Now, what does he mean by over? Does that mean because you're not an overcomer? No. It's going to be stuff to overcome. It just means, hey, listen, in the good work I have for you, you're still going to have to overcome. Mm. You're going to have to persevere in it. You're going to have to not give up on it. You're going to have to not throw in the towel. You're going to have to quit. You're going to have to receive correction and then apply the learning from that correction and continue in the good work. Does that make sense? But there's an overcoming in the work of God, not the overcoming of salvation, not the overcoming of sin that was done by Jesus, but the overcoming of as you get in the middle of the work, it's it's going to be a work. Does that make sense? Yes. And never any, but a good work. Yeah. Right? It's a good work. Uh, and, and I want to inspire us on this because in our culture, there's a fame, there's a, there's not a famous, I don't want to give it any kind of glory at all. Hold on, help me with this Holy Spirit. In our culture, there is a mindset of we just can't wait till the weekend. The weekend. Or we just can't wait till vacation. vacation. Oh, we just can't wait till, huh? Jesus comes back. That's right. Answer always ends at Jesus, right? A, but remember, we can't wait till quitting time, right? Even I was, I was saying, famously, it's five o'clock somewhere, right? Famously, it's somebody's getting the privilege of quitting and going to Margaritaville, right? Right. Does that make sense? Does that make sense? So famously, there's this, see, but that's what he was saying. No, 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 no. Listen, we have to overcome because, see, this is a good work. Mm-hmm. And we've all been there in life in something. You know, you're in the middle of something good, yeah. a good activity, whatever that activity is. I mean, I, I'm just going to speak from my personality if that's okay. You know, um, if you go, we're going fishing this afternoon. It's a good work. Right. And I'm always famously, it's like just one more cast. Oh my goodness. Right. I'm ready, and they're ready, they're ready to go home and, we and, ready. And, and, ready. And, and, and we're ready. And I'm like, well, just, just one more. And then, you know what happens if you, if you throw the last cast and you get a fish, you're throwing, you're for sure throwing one more, right? For sure. Like if you throw that last catch and you hit something and you bring it in, I'm sorry. That, Even if you get a nibble, you will be... But, but, but see, I was saying, like, if you catch one, you know for sure you're throwing in. If you get a nibble, oh, yeah, that's a real strong. It's hard to not do one more last cast. Mm-hmm. Like, you got to have, like, in my case, you got to have, like, a dozen or so last casts with nothing. Right? you got to throw and there would be nothing. It's just, okay, now it's time to go home because <laughs> it's time it's. But see, listen, but why? Because it's a good work. Do you see that now? When, when you're in the middle of a good work, even when a good work comes to its completion, there's still within us a desire to persevere even more. Mm-hmm. See, that's what he meant. That's overcoming. That's, that's overcoming. That's saying, I will not quit. I will not stop. I will not be deterred. I will not surrender. I will not. Does that make sense? Yeah, that's so good. You know, again, I'll apply it to myself here. People go, well, Brad, what happens? And then, you know, what happens if, 
if, if Life of Faith North ever shuts its doors, it, it fails for whatever reason, it closes down. I said, well, we'll just start the next Sunday. Yeah. <laughs> Does, okay, we'll just go back to the house, I guess, or we'll go to a park. I don't know, I mean, but telling me, well, Brad, you just, when will you ever stop pastoring? Man, uh, never. Because even if it changes form, it's kind of like, again, I understand a little bit more and more like Jeremiah, right? When he says, man, you know, remember Jeremiah, he was, he was called the weeping or the lamenting prophet mm-hmm. because the reason why he was, he always got bad news. I mean, it was like, <laughs> God was always saying, hey, go tell them they, they're going to get it again. And he's like, can I get a break and get like a piece of good news? I mean, can I get something halfway in? And finally, Jeremiah one day says, that's it. I'm not giving any more messages for you, God, because you only give me the stinky ones. They're just horrible, right? And then he quits for about a verse or two. And then in the very next verse, he says, it's like a fire shut up in my bones. Right, I, I here you go. Here's what he says. <laughs> See, that's a good work. And that's what overcoming looks like. But I want us to take time, and for time's sake, we're going to look, and you can see each one of the letters has that. It says, to the angel, to the pastor. Each letter in there says, I know your works. Right? But I want us to pay attention, and, and we'll land today and end with this, but here is the reward of never stopping. Why am I talking about this? Why are we wanting to focus on And why am I wanting to inspire you to good works? Because there is a reward to being an overcomer. And again, please hear me, not the overcomer of sin, mm-hmm. not the, that's salvation. Jesus was that overcomer. Yes. But, but there is a reward for the one who says, Lord, I will find your good works. I will walk toward your good works. I will not quit in the good work. I'll not give up. I'll not surrender. I'll not stop. I'll just restart. I'll just redirect. Even if you have to correct me, I'll receive correction and I'll start over. Even if you, does that make sense? Right? That this is the reward of overcoming. It says to him in, in chapter two, verse seven, it says to him who overcomes, I will give of, to him to eat from the tree of life. Now think about that for a Guys, listen to me. To the one who, who constantly persists and never gives up, there is life in that. Amen. Now, come on. That's awesome. You got with me? Yes. So that's, so that's the tree of life in heaven, right? Yes, that's the tree of life so, in heaven. So if you don't, you go to hell, right? No, not at all. That's not what he's saying. Okay. No, that's what I'm saying. I'm not saying this has nothing to do with salvation. There is a tree of life in heaven, but it just gives life, right? This is not for salvation. This is not to get your salvation. The tree of life in heaven didn't save us. Jesus saved us. The tree of life is just the life of God. Uh, through from him here on this earth right now. Again, have you ever, <laughs> have you ever noticed like folks who don't give up? Uh, let me tell you some stories. I'm, I'm trying to learn to be, y'all pray for me. I, I really, one of my good works, I want to be a better storyteller, right? So there's a man by the name of Thomas Edison. Anybody heard of Thomas Edison before? Mm-hmm. Thomas Edison was very famous, very famous inventor, invented the light bulb, a whole bunch of other stuff. 
But Edison had a place called Menlo Park. It was his laboratory, mm-hmm. right? And Edison, one of his things, he had a fire happen in Menlo Park. Burnt the place to the ground. Like everything with all, this is again pre-computer, so all of his schematics, all of his notes, his whole life work, gone in this fire. Everything lost. And they looked at him and said, well, Edison, what are you going to do? He goes, well, we're going to start tomorrow. And as the story goes, he literally lays down on the remains of his desk that were just kind of blackened and charred, and he took a nap. Right there. I mean, place is gone. It's smoking. He goes, well, we'll just start tomorrow. And he just lays down on the, on the desk, takes a nap, gets up, and starts all over. That's called grit right there. That's called life. Yeah. So you guys, listen to me. There is life in keep going. Mm-hmm. What choice do you have? What choice do you have? That's right, Miss Eloise, right? There, there is really, for, there is no other choice. There is no other thing. That's why I tell people, if you can actually quit from something, if you literally can quit, it was never your good work to begin with. (laughs) Does that make sense? If you can actually say, I quit, I'm not doing this no more. Well, then you just know that was never your good work. You were trying maybe somebody else's. Because when you identify your good works, they're in you. Remember? You are his workmanship. You are his poem created for these good works that he predetermined you'd walk in. So these good works are a part of just who you are. You just can't help it. But you'll continue to overcome the adversity. Does that make sense? Because there's life in it. Amen. Let's keep going. Here, the next one, it it says in verse 8, to the angel of the church at Smyrna, in verse 8 of chapter 2. Then verse 9, he says, I know your works. And you can read what they were. Then in verse 11, it says, he who overcomes shall not be hurt by the second death. Aren't you? Amen. Very good. Amen. He who overcomes, now again, shall not be hurt by the second death, which means this. Remember the first death, and remember in the scriptures, death is just simply a separation. It just means to be separated. So one day I will experience the first death, which is when my spirit and my soul separate from my body. That's the first death, right? But the the second death is the separation from father, Mm right? Right? So those that overcome, right, those who continue to persist, what you've done here goes with you, amen, into your life ahead. Now, again, please hear me. These are not to get you salvation, right? These are not to earn you salvation. But what we do here is the foundations of the life we will live there. Right. That's why, again, some people, you know, and I forgot where Paul wrote about it. Some people, he said, they will praise God. They will be saved, but they'll kind of barely make it. Does that make sense? We would call they'll come in by the skin of their teeth. Mm-hmm. Right. They'll kind of slide in. Right. But they'll have not built anything in this life. So they'll come in and praise God. They're saved, 
But they'll look around and in their second death, right, they'll have brought nothing with them. Now, again, please hear me. That's better than the alternative. Does that make make sense? Better than going to hell. But for us, the good works that he leads us into, the good works are the foundations of all kinds of stuff in heaven. According to Paul in the, in the teachings of the New Testament, remember that what we do here determines the opportunities we get there. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Amen. Yeah. Does that make sense? Yeah. What we do here is literally we can convert life here into eternal treasure. We can turn. Does that make sense? Mm-hmm. Now, we're going to jump ahead and we'll see about the next time we're together. We'll finish up some of these. But I want to go ahead and fast forward just a bit because it, it, it builds real good in here. Fast forward to chapter 3. Fast forward in, ch- in chapter 3. Go to verse 14. And I'm going to read through this whole letter. This is. It says in, chapter, in verse 14 of chapter 3, And to the pastor of the church of the Laodiceans, write this. So here's the church of Laodicea. These things says, and I love this, says the Amen. <laughs> That's a whole name for Jesus. He, he is the Amen. Praise God. The so be it. The faithful and true witness, the beginning of the creation of God. He says in verse 15, I know your works, that you are neither hot nor cold. I would wish that you were hot or cold. So then, because you are lukewarm and you're neither hot or cold, I would vomit you out of my mouth. Now, again, how many of you have ever heard a good preacher talk about don't be lukewarm? Mm -hmm. I want to give a little bit of better light on this, okay? He is talking about that. A, remember, who's he talking to? The pastor. So he's not necessarily talking about vomiting up the whole church of Laodicea. He's talking about vomiting up the pastor. Does that make sense? Remember John. <laughs> so, so, well, here's the thing. But, but in the lukewarm thing, because sometimes we preach this, in that area, Laodicea was a one of three cities, and I forgot the other two. But what, what happened was, is in these areas, it was a resort area of Turkey. Mm-hmm. One city had hot springs. The other city had cold springs. They were both spas mm-hmm. right anybody ever been to a spa and you do the hot and cold treatment mm-hmm. that's what God's talking about mm-hmm. cold isn't apathetic toward God just like hot necessarily isn't passionate he's talking about I would, I would rather you just be accomplishing a purpose mm-hmm. but because you do nothing because you're kind of somewhat useless so basically what happens is in these two cities, the hot springs ran out of one and the cold springs ran out of the other and they merged here. They merged at Laodicea and became tepid. So the waters lost their healing power. They lost their, their good work, their purpose, their usefulness. That's why he was saying, hey, I, I wish you could be, be, over, be a hot spring or be a cold spring. At least you're helping somebody. But because you, pastor, have let yourself be lukewarm, 
Does that make sense? You have... Well, well, let's read that. It looks like this. He, he defines it. Good question, Savannah. He says this, verse 17, because, he says, so here's the because. What is lukewarm? Because you say, I am rich. I have become wealthy and I have need of nothing. And I do not, and do not know this, that you are wretched, miserable, poor, blind and naked. So what had happened to the pastor at Laodicea is he had prospered. So he didn't think he needed to do anything else. He thought he was good. Can I just be a little bit mean to our camp, okay? <laughs> just going to be a little, to us, just to us. Because I could have, he was a good old word of faith preacher, man. He had the airplane, man. He made it. He had the big house. Church was big. Right? They were prosperous. We don't need nothing from nobody. Right? We can stand on our own. Oh, y'all look at me. Don't look at me all mean like that. Y'all all right? We know some of them. We know some of them, right? And that's, but the thing was, is remember what Jesus said? He said, be careful of the deceitfulness of riches. Mm -hmm. They lull you to sleep. They lull you to sleep. The lust of the things of the world they distract you. We're going to look at it in that time when it comes. Paul talking to Timothy, he says, hey, listen, warn the wealthy people in your church to be careful. He didn't say be poor. Mm -hmm. He said just be careful that they don't fall prey to the deceitfulness of the wealth that they have. That they don't put their trust mm -hmm. in the wealth. Mm -hmm. So, so it. That is why some people interpret it to say that it's bad to be wealthy. That's right. Now, we're going to look at that and unpack that later. God does not ever mind us prospering. Everybody, everybody look at me. Say, does God want you to prosper? Yes. 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 Does God want you to have more than enough? Yes. yes. Why? So you can give. So, yes. A piece of it is to give. He is a God of overabundance. He to be over, the top. over the top. He's a little extra. That's what we say in Walker County, right? God's a little extra. He wants you. But, and, and Miss Tricia, you're not wrong. He wants you to have to give, but he, he wants you about the good work. For the good work. That's right. So God wants us to prosper so we can accomplish the good work, but he never wants the prosperity to lull us to sleep to deceive us, to make us think that because we got that, then we're all right. Because here he says to this, this pastor, hey, listen, you don't know it, but you're wretched, mm -hmm. you're miserable, you're poor, you're blind, and you're naked. <laughs> Amen. And that's what he was saying. That's why you were Luke, the, your answer, Savannah, why, what does lukewarm look like? Lukewarm looks like not realizing my spiritual eternal state. Because I'm too focused on my physical state. It won't be happy in the natural. Right, you won't. But listen, but here, but here, this is not, I don't want to get too far on that and we'll unpack more of this. I know I'm going to stir up a lot of questions, bring them on the Thursdays, okay? And want to answer them. But look, he says, 
Now in verse 18, so again, Jesus says, I counsel you. So who counsels here? So Jesus is giving this pastor some wisdom, some counsel. I counsel you to buy from me gold refined by the fire. So he doesn't say, hey, this is my counsel, pastor. You need to sell everything, ditch all the wealth, be poor, take a vow of poverty. He said, no, here's my counsel. You need wealth from heaven. What is that? You need wealth that has purpose. Yes. You need wealth that's bigger than just you. Because see, the problem with the Laodicean pastor was his wealth was about him. He was real similar to the man Jesus talked about who said, I got all this wealth. I got all this stuff. Let me build bigger barns. Let me build bigger storehouses so I can sit back fat and sassy and just spend it all on moi. Yeah, he had that attitude, didn't he? And, and Jesus said, fool, you have no idea that tonight you're going to die. And this is going to be nothing. So see, Jesus says we can literally, now here's the thing. Though. Jesus says we can gain a supply of wealth that was refined by the fire of heaven. We can tap into the supply of heaven's wealth. And what that, heaven's wealth has people attached to it. It has purpose attached to it, right? It has eternity attached to it, right? I, I don't know if I'm doing a good job. Does that make sense? Yes. To imagine these things so that, okay, again, and y'all heard me tell that story about me. Again, I'm, I don't know why I'm telling, I guess I'm excited about going fishing. As I'm telling all my fishing stories. But y'all have heard me tell this before. You know, Selena wanted to bless me when we lived in Canada. So we, I think it was three, $400. I can't remember. It was a chunk of change. Still is a chunk of change for us. And she gave that to me for like birthday or something and said, here you go. You've got to go spend this on a rod, on fishing gear. And, I, and it was a dilemma because I'm like going, well, we got bills. We got kids. We got shoes. We got, and she's like, no, you can't. I didn't get this money. Now listen to me. There's, there's a lot of the. I didn't endeavor to get this money to bless you with, right? Just so you'd spend, again, so that, that was heavenly stuff. Well, I went out and I bought this nice, I still got the rod downstairs, I bought a nine foot, um, oh, Shahalis rod, fiberglass, it's awesome. Bought a reel, got the expensive line put on it. Bought the reel that was a bait caster. Those that fish know what that is. And then I go fishing with Jesse Brigg, who is still one of my dearest friends and spiritual sons. And Jesse didn't grow up with a dad. He just wanted to go fishing, didn't know how to fish. First cast, Jesse bird nests the whole thing. Like, <laughs> I mean, it was bad, Cedric. It was bad. And I'm over there sitting on a... I was so mad. I was over there sitting on a rock with my knife, and I'm cutting out this bird nest. And Jesse and... You know, people that can't fish and what's the matter with folk? Don't they, anybody teach them what to do? And I'm over there. The Holy Spirit, hey, he, he is treating me like this pastor. He's sitting on next to me. He says, so uh, why'd you buy something nobody else could use? <laughs> and I stopped dead still and go, that's a really good, really good question, Lord. Why did I buy something that nobody else could use? Why did I buy something that was just does that yeah. just, for you. just for me only that would bring no benefit to anyone else 
That well, she told me to spend. I, but to see, she told me to spend it on fishing gear for me. I twisted the good work and just put it on myself. <clears throat> Do y'all see? I had no other. Th- I had no thought for anyone. See, that's what Jesus says. Hey, listen, Pastor, I need you to understand that wealth is always attached to more than just you. You, you, need, to, you need to buy some gold from heaven. And the gold for heaven is bigger than just me. It's bigger than just one person. Does that make sense? Right? So it says here, he says... And now notice, remember, because the, the pastor was, he was poor and blind and naked and miserable, right? So the pastor had some other problems, right? He says, and this is Jesus's counsel. And you need to buy some white raiments that you would be clothed, right? And the shame of your nakedness would not be revealed. So now remember, so what's this guy? He's a pastor, so he's pastoring a church, right? Does that mean, is he doing some stuff? Apparently, but apparently what he was doing was still leaving him naked. Mm-hmm. Y'all remember the story of the, of the emperor? Mm-hmm. Remember the emperor's new clothes? Yes. You remember the kid's story of the emperor's new clothes and nobody had the guts to tell the emperor he was naked? Everybody can just get, oh, that coat looks good on you. Oh, those shoes look good. And the, and the emperor thinks he's strutting. So he goes out on the parade. And then the people start laughing at him. The little, kid. the little kids start laughing because he's naked. Because everybody else, you know, listen to me. I mean, and for us as ministers, we've got to be careful. This is, we've got to be careful that the good works we do or think are good. We're not actually running around naked. This, all right, I'm going to move on. Y'all, does that mean? <laughs> does that make sense, right? Because the pastor was running around butt naked, right? I mean, he was, and Jesus says, hey, listen, uh, before that gets revealed that everything you've built in your life really is nothing, you just think it's something, you need to come to me and you need to buy some white raiment. Now, for Savannah, because another question is, come on, what's that? What's the white raiment? Go to chapter 19 and we'll, we'll land here today and pick up next time. I know you were. I could feel it coming. It's like your mama. I could feel the question from this far away. I could feel it coming. Right here, Revelation chapter 19. Going to look at verse 7. I love this. Verse 7 says, Let us be glad and rejoice and give him glory for the marriage of the Lamb has come. Hallelujah. And his wife, now who is that? Us. Has made herself ready. Now again, we, did we earn our salvation? Nope. Did we save ourselves? No. But remember, we're still going to get married to Jesus one day. Yes. And we don't want to show up naked. <laughs> we don't want to show up to our own wedding with Jesus naked like that pastor in Laodicea. She has made herself ready, verse 8, and to her it was granted to be arrayed in fine linen, clean and bright, for the fine linen is the righteous acts of the saints. Wow. I'm so glad I came to you. Does that make sense? See, the fine linen, what, what Jesus was saying to that pastor in Laodicea is, 
you're wearing your own axe. And that always leaves you naked. Remember Adam and Eve? Adam and Eve were wearing their own axe, those fig leaves that left them naked and ashamed. Right? I see the finger. What? Mm-hmm. That's right. Well, that's, I do remember that. And, the, the, you know, Kevin and I were talking the other day, and those, those fig leaves were their own attempts at righteousness. Yeah, and then remember in Jesus cursed when he was alive, Jesus cursed Adam and Eve's wardrobe. Mm-hmm. That, fig that fig tree. Because it was putting off false heirs. Mm-hmm. It was putting off that it was producing fruit when it wasn't. Right? But listen, but, but I want you so hear me. Our salvation is secure in Jesus. But I don't want to show up to heaven naked. Well, come on. That's Does that make sense? I'm not, these are not righteous acts for salvation. I could not save me. That's Ephesians chapter 2. We read it on Thursday. Right? It's a gift of God, not of works, lest anyone should boast. You were saved by grace through faith. So Jesus did the work of redeeming us. But then he says, but remember, you're my poem. You're my workmanship. You were created and designed to produce linen robes of righteousness through your life. Right? Through acts of the good works that I have prepared for you. Again, these aren't works that are saving us. Do y'all see that? But these are the works that clothe us. These are the works and the things, the imaginations, the things he gives us to put our hand to. They are vehicles of righteousness. Again, I, so good. So good. D- does that make sense? Uh, again, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to share a, a story, right? It's so, help me, Lord. I need, well, I need to say it, but it's very relevant to now, and I don't want to. I got to say it. Help me tell her. How do I tell her? Hmm. So I know. <laughs> I know of a business that was birthed in some people by, as a good work of God for their life. They have seen that good work literally transform people's lives. They have seen that business that the Lord totally put inside of them to do gave them opportunity to do, brought about the execution of that to do, and they have seen, right, they have seen that literally transform people, right? And they're in the middle of a fight because they're, they're wanting to quit. Does that make sense? And the reason why many times we come, and all of us can fall prey to that, Remember the overcoming part? He that overcomes, right? He that overcomes, right? He says, you're going to overcome. You're going to have to not quit. Is is we can forget that when it gets tough. And guys, listen to me. I I, I told you I'd never lie to you. I'm not saying that the good work God inspires you to do will always be a cakewalk and be easy. That's just always going to be like, because some of that was in that word of faith camp. That's how you knew it was from God because it was just effortless you just floated through it and it just does that 
and there weren't challenging days and challenging times and challenging stuff. It was. I ain't never been there. I, I ain't never been there yet, Miss Eloise. There's been. Now it's always been good, but I think what we can forget, and, and the ploy of the devil is to forget. Hey, remember. You're not just making whatever it is this business is making. You're actually making your robe of righteousness. Mm. Mm-hmm. You're weaving your linen garment. You're, you're, mm-hmm. you're, Miss Teresa will get this. You're, you're putting the details on your wedding dress. Mm-hmm. You're sewing and constructing this garment that you're going to wear mm-hmm. that he's leading you into your wedding in the future. Right, and he's led you into something to do, and it's putting that flash and detail on that wedding gown. Does that make sense? And the poor pastor at Laodicea, he was like the emperor with no clothes on. He thought he looked good. Right? <laughs> he thought it was all that in a bag of chips. And he didn't realize that on his wedding day with Jesus, Jesus is going to say, well, boy, I love you and all, but... You, you showed up in your nakedness, right? <laughs> wow. Does that, does, because the fig tree Because your fig tree withered up on you. That's why Jesus cursed it. That's right. He cursed the work of the fig leaves. That's exactly right. Because they never produce, it, produce any fruit. All they do is make you itchy. Mm-hmm. I mean, does that make sense? Mm-hmm. Does, that, does, that, does that help? So, so that's, that is why it's, it's, it's needful and okay for us to be very desirous of, Lord, what's the good work? Mm-hmm. And, to, and, to, and to go for it. Mm-hmm. And to, to walk towards it. Mm-hmm. Right? Don't be tempted to quit. And don't be tempted to quit. Stay, stay after it when it's hard. Because mm-hmm. you're literally sewing, mm-hmm. making your wedding dress for that day. Does that make sense? And I got to read this to here. Oh man. So here, and we'll end on this one. So back over in chapter three, because we were reading that, the, the, the Laodicean church. Remember I said, pastor, I know your works. We read a little bit more. Here's what's going on with Laodicea. Verse two or 21 of chapter three in Revelation. It says, to him that overcomes... So, right? So he's talking to the same pastor. And now listen, pastor, if you'll do this, if you'll buy some heavenly gold, if you'll buy you, right, some, some, some righteous garments, some linen, right? He goes, if, and I love this, talking about our imagination. I couldn't help but this. Back up just a little bit. It says, and if you'll anoint your eyes with eye salve. Well, what do we say our eyes were? They were blind. No, there were, but I, we said our eyes, remember, He'll open the eyes of our imagination. He says, hey, you're blind. You're imagining not good. You can't imagine. He says, I need you to take the eye salve of the word. I need you to take the eye salve of the kingdom and anoint your imagination again. Salve is made from oil. That's Holy Spirit. That's Holy Spirit. So I need you to take the Holy Spirit and word, imagination, and eye salve and, uh, and anoint your imagination again so you can see the good work. So you can see that you're actually naked. Oh my gosh, I thought I was building something. <laughs> thought I was doing pretty good, but I didn't realize I was naked, right? 
But to him, verse 21 again, but to him that overcomes, I will grant to sit with me on my throne. <laughs> Hallelujah. Amen. What happens when, right? What happens when we, we purchase these things with our life, when we purchase these things through that supply, when we're saying, okay, I'm going to exchange life here. I'm going to exchange my living life here for the things that are getting me ready there. Amen? Mm -hmm. Amen. Amen. So, Lord, we love you so much. So grateful, so thankful. We'll just continue to open up our imagination to this, our understanding. Lord, Holy Spirit, keep teaching us about this. Lord, again, help us to, to see it as it is. Again, this is not, we're not trying to earn anything from you. We're not trying to save ourselves. But, Lord God, we... We want to attempt great things for you. We want to accomplish great things with you. Lord, we, we want, just as Jesus said, we want to do good works so that men would glorify you. So just teach us more about this. Open up more to us in this in Jesus' name.